Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Pike and Young Spock and Number One, 
Uh-huh. So you know, some of the episodes have uh, uh, been devoted to that. And uh, the last one that I saw had, uh, you know, Ensign Spock walk on to the bridge, uh, or, you know, come off the transporter and got stuck in the turbo lift with number one. And, you know, she's asking him questions, you know, rapid fire questions. And Spock is replying, but she's trying to figure out, you know, because she sees almost like a little uh, side smile from Spock. She's trying to figure out if Spock is, you know, he's, she knows he's half uh, human, half Vulcan. So she's uh-huh. trying to figure out what the percentage is of, of what she should expect from a, a science officer, you know, what, what Spock is like. So. Uh, I, you know, uh, I, I thought it was very interesting and, um, you know, it was a cute, cute premise. I, I think they, they've had some very interesting stories that they can do, uh, in a very small time span. Uh, but I think, I think that actually helps it. I think it's a really great way of telling a Star Trek story that we had never seen before. Um, you know, the closest that I think we got to this kind of thing was the animated series of, of the early, you know, 70s uh, that bridged the gap between Star Trek, the motion picture and the end of the, of the live action Star Trek. So, um, you know, there was there was a whole episode that that focused on Harry Mudd, you know, now played yeah. by, you know, um, yeah, I mean it was it was cool because you wouldn't necessarily. In fact, there there's some episodes that are you know almost give more focus to the guest stars. So I I really right. think it's kind of cool. It's like this mini glimpse into the uh, Federation universe, and um and I and I'm kind of hoping that they'll pursue this further. You know, I wouldn't really mind seeing them not necessarily even have to attach anything to Discovery. You know, I'd love to see them just. Uh, you know, uh, you know, as we're expect, you know, anticipating in January, uh, Star Trek Picard. I don't know if that may get that treatment. Um, if Picard goes on to a second season, if they'll do something in between, you know. So, uh, and that would be cool because maybe we'll get to see some some characters that won't necessarily be in Star Trek Picard, but are you know from next gen that, uh, you know, that could come in and do a short, you know, um, story like Wesley Crusher or, you know, I don't, you know, somebody that we won't necessarily see in Picard, but we'll feel cheated because we didn't see that character, but, uh, but we'd like to, you know, well, they're like starting to market it pretty aggressively. Uh, they're coming out with a book and a comic book series, I believe, uh, that'll bridge uh, next generation and a new TV show. And then in Walmart this weekend, um, I saw they had a, uh, a selection of uh, Picard episodes and movies that will help people make sense of the uh, new series. So yeah, I think that's important. Cause I, I think these shorts are as, as creative and as fun as they are. I do think that it was a very, um, I think it was market driven. I think it was it was a, it was done to basically keep the interest while the show was on hiatus. Um, 
And, and I think it was a very good promotional tool to keep people wanting to come back. Because remember, um, this is a series that's on a streaming service. And, you know, the name of the game is getting subscribers and keeping people subscribed. So, you right. know, it's not just like ratings anymore. It's, it's a whole different, you know, thing to, um, to deal with right now, you know, it's a, a new, new, new for the viewer as well, because, you know, we've never, you know, we, we always just hoped that enough people were watching and enough sponsors were paying money so that the show would just continue to keep going. Uh, now it's, it's a whole thing of, you know, sub, sub, subscribers. So. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a brand new world uh, with that, uh, a bold new uh, world. Uh, and we're all going boldly where no one has ventured uh, before with our entertainment. Um, now, Picard is a reality, and it's uh, coming very soon. Um, and we've talked uh, the other time about other possible realities, like, for instance, uh, uh, a Star Trek uh, movie uh, that uh, is rumored to be coming out. Um, and uh, there's also a, a cartoon or two. Uh, one of the cartoons is about uh, a low-level uh, crew on the Enterprise, um, and another one on Section 31. Uh, and also, I know everyone, including myself, would love to see a Star Trek show based on the Enterprise with Pike and the younger Spock and number one. Uh, that would be incredibly awesome, and and I've seen well, that. Yeah, I think that just our appetite with some of these shorts. Um, you know, that was very, you know, because uh, everybody wants to see more of the early voyage of, of, of Star Trek, um, of, of the Enterprise, uh, similar to the uh, the short-lived comic book that was out in the 90s uh, or early 2000s, I forget which, when Marvel Comics owned the rights to Star Trek, and they, they did a... Um, Star Trek Early Voyages uh, with yes. Pike and Spock, and I, I thought that was great. I, I I didn't like their take on uh, on April, but other than that, I thought the stories were very good. And uh, you know, I, I think there's there's probably more, almost more interest in in seeing you know uh, Pike and the early you know the early crew of of the enterprise, despite it looking nothing like, you know, uh, like what we remember from the cage and, you know, and menagerie, which was, you know, the re-edited version. Um, I think we'd, we'd love to see more of that. Uh, and Rebecca, uh, Romaine, um, is, is playing number one. And, uh, I never would have dreamed that she, she could pull it off as well. Um, you know, she's this beautiful blonde actress that, that we remember well from the X-Men movies as Mystique and, and, and a number of other shows that she was in and movies. Uh, but I, I never would have, you know, would have thought of her in that, in that role. But, you know, mostly because she's, you know, number one is, is a brunette. But, uh, you know, she's really been amazing in that part. And... Um, and and everyone loves Anson Mount as uh, Christopher Pike. I mean, you know, he was awesome. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Ethan Peck. Um, 
you know, has really pulled off another good version of, of early Spock. I, I still don't think he looks quite as, as, as close to, to Leonard Nimoy's Spock as the, Exactly, um, Quinto. Yeah. Exactly, But uh, you know, he 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 does a fairly good good part, and you know, he's supposed to be a little bit younger anyway. So you know, um, yeah, it's been really really great. And um, you know, Discovery has a lot of fans that love uh, Sylvia Tilly, you know, uh, played by Mary Weissman. And so they they did do an episode of the short Star Trek shorts uh, with her in it. Uh, she had like her own little episode. And I think that's what's so cool about the shorts is that we might get to see like one-offs. You know, like imagine in in, in our day with uh, the original Star Trek, if 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 they had had something like that back in the day, and we could see like you know the a whole mini episode devoted to Sulu or Uhura or Chekhov on shore leave, you know, or, you know, something like that. It would have, it would have been really cool. Yes. That would have been uh, very cool. Uh, And I would have enjoyed that. I'm enjoying all of these. Uh, uh, Part of the, I guess the uh, problem with Trek um, is that there is so much fill-in material that like other uh, pop culture heroes or even mythical heroes, there's not enough time for them to have done all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, depending on the uh, um, ideas of uh, the people who are in control of Star Trek, uh, the canonicity is always up in the air. Um, so you don't know after all which things happened and which things didn't happen. And ultimately and eventually it's up to you what you enjoy, and what you choose to believe. Yeah. Well, right now, I mean, even us as fans, there's such a a wealth of stuff that is coming out, a wealth of content, um, and and we can't possibly even have the time, even if we had the budget, to have all these streaming services. Uh, I mean, the last time, uh, you know, in between the time we've last talked, uh, you know, Disney, the long-awaited Disney um streaming service came out and the big talk, you know, for days has been the Mandalorian, you know, the, the bounty hunters look like Boba Fett and everybody's been talking about that. And I feel kind of out of the loop on that one because, um, you know, I have no plans currently to add yet another streaming service. I have CBS all access and um, that's the only one we have uh, because even if we, could afford to get some of these. I'm like, when am I going to find, I mean, what am I finding more time? Yeah. To, to sit down and, and even, you know, I have to make it a point just even you utilize CBS all access, you know, we have the same uh, issue. It's like, uh, I love the um, MCU. Um, Yeah. It's already at a point where there's not enough time to watch everything. And I have other things, uh, as much as I love the MCU, I have other things to do in life that take precedence over uh, watching uh, the adventures of characters in the MCU. Uh, and yeah. now they made it even more difficult by uh, connecting the movies through the television shows. So though if you're a fan, that's the, the greatest thing in the world. Um, uh, again, watching all these shows to pick up the threads, and it's hard to keep track of things already. Uh, so 
that's something that I know I'm already reaching a saturation point. Like uh, I'm several seasons behind the WB. I like their uh, uh, Arrowverse, I guess they were calling. I'm, I'm at least a season and a half or a couple of seasons behind on that. Yeah, we're and we're coming up uh, early next month. We're coming up on the, the their crossover, their annual crossover series, which yeah, Christ, uh, I Christ think is, Yeah, I, I think that will pretty much culminate the story of of uh, Arrow, um, which I am sorry to see go, but uh, you know to finish finish its run. But uh, I think the I think this one is pulling out all the stops. Uh, I think Crisis is this one is going to be amazing. The the number of actors that they're pulling uh, and and different versions of Superman and uh, you know we may be seeing Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. We may you know Burt Ward is going to be there. I mean, yes, I it, heard it, that. This is going to be amazing. I mean. I, I can't really wait. I, I am so excited about this. Um, you know, they're pulling Batwoman in, and 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 I guess the legends uh, uh, of tomorrow as well. So some of those characters, I, I guess, uh, you know, because that show's not back yet. But I'm sure once I don't know if the time slot is is uh, going to be freed up when Arrow uh, concludes or what, because I know a. a, a Arrow has an abbreviated season this year, so. Um, but uh, I'm I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, me too. even there, I'm I I can't I can't afford that the the DC um, uh, universe streamline uh, uh, the system either. You know the streaming system. I would love to see. I've I've heard great things about Doom Patrol and uh, Teen Titans. And um, I think they were supposed to do Stargirl about this point. I don't know if that ever came out or not. Um, I don't know. I thought it was supposed to come out this month uh, or maybe December. Um, But then I think that 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 streaming service is is kind of folding under the Warner Brothers um, streaming service. So I I don't know. I, I only know that poor Swamp Thing got a raw deal. They canceled it on the very day that it came out and, from what I understand, it was pretty good. That's but, what I heard too, and I would have liked to see that, but uh, I guess I'll wait till it comes out on DVD. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of these things will be coming out, and um, that we'll even get to see them. You know, from taking them out of the library. I'm, I'm hoping that will be. You know, uh, but I know if not, I'll be buying a lot of things later on. So. Well, I found that if you wait for the WB things, um, eventually uh, they'll go on sale at Walmart or Best Buy for nine ninety nine for the season. Oh. So what I've been doing is I've been waiting until they go on sale at nine ninety nine, and then just pick up, uh, you know, over the course of a few months while that sale is still going on, I'll pick up as many of them as I can, the ones that I really yeah. want to watch. And so that, that's been doing, again, I've missed a few here and there, um, but they're not the ones that I really, really enjoy watching. Like, my favorite one is uh, The Legends of Tomorrow, and after that, Supergirl. Yeah, I like that. I, 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 um, I never saw the last season of Gotham, which is on, was on Fox, but that uh, I love. eventually, 
eventually I got to catch that um, and see how it ended. Um, you know, I'm enjoying Batwoman uh, and their take on, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll eventually get to see more, uh, you know, some more of Batman's own rogues gallery. They're kind of giving Batwoman her own, you know, uh, uh, and villains. Uh, her main villain is, is right now Alice, who was a kind of a side character to the Mad Hatter. And I thought the actress playing her, I don't know if you've seen the show, but I thought she was, you know, she's amazing. She's, she's kind of got a little bit of a Harley Quinn in her because she's just, you know, very crazy. And she turns out to be her sister. Uh, really? Yeah. Kate, Kate Kane's uh, sister, which they kind of deviated a little of the origin story, but pretty much, um, the, the the actress is, is a perfect take. Uh, she looks like she walked right out of the pages of the comic book. I mean, the, the costume, everything is very, very authentic. Um, and uh, and I think they're doing some interesting things with Supergirl as well this season. Um, you know, you know, Sundays are you're a must see. You know, superheroine uh, TV. So uh, I've been I've been enjoying <laughs> both. Yeah, I haven't so, seen um, Batman yet, but uh, I, I've enjoyed Supergirl the, the first. Uh, I, I think I caught the first three seasons, and I enjoyed them a great deal. It was a little bit different their take on the mythology, but it 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 worked. And I heard that they brought Lex Luthor back, so I'm really looking forward to catching yeah. up. Yes, and I and now I'm I'm having a a, a mind uh, lapse here. Uh, the actor <laughs> who uh, was in uh, Two and a Half Men, um, you know, uh, the 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 funny brother, the younger brother, uh, he's he played a pretty good Lex Luthor. He, he, I mean, he'll be back in Crisis because even though he was that, killed yeah. off, yeah. So uh, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to to Crisis and and all their takes on this. And, um, you know, just to see how they're going to work in, uh, uh, you know, the, the same actor who plays the Atom in, in Legends is, yeah. is going to, of course, play Superman in, 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 a, in a Superman movie. So, but they're bringing him back in a different, a slightly different costume and with the great, he, he's considered to be the Superman Kingdom Come graphic novel yeah. version or something like that. So, uh you know, so I'm, 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 I can't wait to see this. And I know it'll be, I think they're even this, this time they're finally bringing black lightning into the whole crossover. Um, yes, which, is, that's which is great because um, really we don't, you wouldn't know which universe black lightning is in. Um, you know, he should be in the Supergirl universe the, yeah, really because uh I think there was some reference to it at one time, and uh, and Black Lightning was was originally from Metropolis in the comics, but I you know, but uh, he'll be in it, and um, yeah, it's 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 going to be really, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do and and who you know, if they're going to follow the storyline of the original Crisis and and all that. Um, 
Yeah, I but, wanted um, to bring Birds of Prey back and uh, the original uh, Flash TV show, The Flash from there. Uh, there's all sorts of things that they're doing. Um, and um, I don't think we discussed, uh, because it probably came out uh, after our, your last show here, um, the rumor, and which seems to be not just a rumor but confirmed, that Denise Crosby will be reprising her role as as Sela, the Romulan, um, and possibly being the Empress uh, for Star Trek Picard. That she I confirmed have that. that. Awesome. So I thought that was very intriguing, and works into the theory that we were discussing last time. Uh, last time that uh, you know that the Romulans and and were, maybe using Borg technology to develop some kind of plot and uh, that this mysterious girl that, that comes to Picard for help um, is somehow connected to possibly the Romulans and the Borg, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to see that, that that they would bring Sela back because, you know, we didn't really get, I, I think we didn't get to see enough of her. Um, we saw her in reunification. Uh, I think that's the last time we saw her. Um, I don't remember. After that, after that failure, you know, uh, you, you know, you would figure things wouldn't go too well for her, you know. Um, and we didn't see her get wiped out in Nemesis at the at the Romulan. Court, um, and wouldn't that make sense for you know the surviving Romulans after their world was destroyed? They would have resettled somewhere, and they would have you know most likely needed new leadership. So you know she, she would have seized the opportunity. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I hope that's that's uh, a, a, you know turns out to be correct and it isn't just you know, uh, an idle rumor that she played along with or something. Um, I hope so too. That, that would, that would be really great. It's, they're bringing back uh, Riker. They're bringing back Troy. They're bringing back uh, seven of nine. Uh, and yeah. uh, they're hinting at all sorts of uh, things. They're bringing back a version of data. Uh, so yeah. uh, it would be great if they could uh, basically introduce lots of people from the show. Over its seven-year run and all the movies, there are certainly plenty of characters that they could weave into the yeah. narrative. Well, I would love to see even a cameo by by Q. Um, yes, or even I would at love the end, just have Q just standing there grinning. You know, even that would be so so great. Um, uh, you know, because now they were talking about, you know, if, if this gets the success that they believe it will, it, it may go another season, which uh, surprised me because I was really thinking that Patrick Stewart was coming back to, to do the last story of Picard, you know, and that, that we may not even see him survive the, the end of the season so uh, or, the, or the end of the show. Uh, which I believe is 10 episodes. Um, so I, I, I hope that is the case. I would like to see more. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see um, uh, the story of the, you know, of the next gen crew 
you know, continue on, even if it's in a format that we're not familiar with, you know, even if it is a, this is the first time, and I think we talked about this before, that they have done a show focused not on a ship or a space station, um, but focused on a character. You know, we've right. never had a, a, a Star Trek name of character um, series before, you know. So um, that that says a lot for the uh, the charisma of Patrick Stewart and, and Jean-Luc Picard, you know. It would be interesting if he doesn't survive it, if they picked another character and then made a Riker miniseries and then made a Troy miniseries, you know, whatever, uh, and uh, basically wrap up their stories. Well, I think, too, that the other angle of this is that Picard's getting help from a whole young crew. Um, Granted, they're not, apparently they're not a Starfleet crew, but he brings together a bunch of... um, well, I hate to use the word, but they could be basically misfits uh, in their own universe. You know, like they, uh, something brought all these young characters together, um, including the one young man who was uh, on the Voyager um, and had, you know, broken away from the Borg. So um, maybe the, if Picard doesn't survive, maybe they may see if there's enough interest with with these new, new characters to, you know, who may end up with a ship, not necessarily a Starfleet ship, but might end up being out there and, you know, but that's just That'd supposition. Of, you know, cause I, I know there a Farscape or Serenity type of show uh, in the Star yeah. Trek universe. That'd be interesting. They um, they may be looking at that younger audience uh, because you know Star Trek needs to get you know uh, it, it already has us old codgers that uh, not that we're really old codgers but you know what I mean um, uh-huh. you know it has older fan base but it it does need to grow uh, it needs to to get that that next generation of fans and, and you know. Um, just as it it got with Star Trek Next Generation. You know, even members of my crew, you know, when I talk to them about, you know, Star Trek, uh, they'll be like, well, you know, my first episode was, you know, and then they name something from Next Gen. um, Right. And not not from Classic. And they're like, yeah, I got to see that later, you know. And, And so, you know, even now, you know, Classic Trek has a different impact for those who saw that, you know, after Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager came out, you know. So, uh, you know, and now we'll see that with, with, with people that, you know, their first experience might be Star Trek Discovery. Right. Um, so, um, you know, and it can be confusing because, you know, here we have Pike and number one, and we have such a beautiful, brandy new ship, you know, uh, and, you know, even, even though the special effects were added to, uh, you know, the classic track, you know, it, 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 it 
doesn't compare the, in the way that they they shoot this. It's it's shot so so beautifully, you know, and the sets are are you know, uh, I, even Gene Roddenberry couldn't probably dream that it would look so good at this stage in, in time. You know. But uh, the show goes on, the franchise goes on, and the mythology uh, continues. And it, it, I'm really happy that uh, Star Trek is making a comeback because uh, out of all the science fiction universes that I've been exposed to, uh, that has got to be one of the most uh, resonant. And uh, the very fact that uh, uh, despite occasional uh, tacklings with uh, negativity, uh, the overall view is uh, positive and progressive and optimistic. Uh, about uh, humanity's ability to uh, uh, transcend its difficulties and to grow. Yes. Um, you know, it, it is the most opti- optimistic vision of, of uh, science fiction. Um, you know, uh, last week I saw uh, a little less of a optimistic vision with uh, the latest sequel to uh, Terminator, uh, Dark Fate. Um, I didn't see that which, yet. Uh, which I, I will not then go into all the details because I don't want to spoil it, but just pay nope. attention to, as I'm sure you will, that first five minutes, um, which uh, a lot of fans are talking about. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a good friend in Philadelphia, and, she, you know, she was very upset about it. Um, the rest of us weren't quite as upset. It, I will say it was, a, it was a very entertaining movie. I enjoyed it. Um, but it definitely, um, you know, throws a, a different spin into the franchise. And uh, this one was produced by John Cameron. He had more control. I believe he wrote it. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it, you know, unlike three, four, five, let's see. What is this one now? Uh, going backwards, Dark Fate, Genesis, <laughs> uh, Salvation, um, Rise of the Machines, Terminator 2, and Terminator. So I guess this is the sixth. This was the sixth movie, um, and I got to say, I, I enjoyed all of the Terminator movies. Um, they they did give this one an R rating um, okay. because of the amount of violence, I guess, you know, and there's some profanity, there's some expletives there, but, you know, nothing, nothing all that alarming, really, you just, they just wanted to make it more gritty, Uh, I I can't say that I noticed a whole lot of difference in, of of things uh, in this one that really warranted the R, or maybe I'm just getting immune to it, but, uh, uh, but Linda, I will say Linda Hamilton, um, you know, she's older, she's grayer, but she, she can still kick ass. And uh, she, was, uh, she was great. It was great to see her back in a Terminator movie again. Um, I watched that. Number I, two. That's the only one I didn't see, and I saw the two seasons of the television show. And uh, once upon a time, I'd read a couple of the books and a few of the comics uh, as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to the seeing TV how they uh, wrap that up. Yeah, the TV show had a had a good premise as well. A lot of people were disappointed when it didn't go to a third season. I think that was a big mistake by Fox. 
Um, I know the ratings had dipped a little bit, but uh, I, I think that that the the Sarah uh, Connor Chronicles was was well done, and it had an amazing cast. Uh, Summer Glow, the actor who played John Connor, uh, Lena Henley, who you know we, we know now more for her role in Game of Thrones. She made a, a great Sarah Connor. Yeah. Uh, and I can't think of her name, uh, but she was Marilyn Manson's girlfriend at one time. She was she was in it. Uh, uh, she was the the villainess, the, the who who was heading the corporation of of Skynet, um, and uh, and she was amazing. So. Um, but, it, but it's definitely a different take on the future, uh, certainly a less optimistic one than uh, right. you know, Star Trek, you know. Yeah, but it's very Greek tragedy uh, um, in a way, because if you try to um, make sure prophecy doesn't happen, you usually wind up doing the things that assure that it will happen. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and this movie you know, has very similar elements to, to other, uh, others in the franchise, but it's, it, but it's involves different people now. Um, but you, you still have the end result being the same really. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how it's doing at the box office, but I know John Cameron was thinking of, of using this movie as the first of yet another trilogy um so i don't i don't know if that will happen or not i i hope so because i i enjoy these movies uh i think i enjoy terminator more than i enjoy predator uh or even aliens i i think i think of those you know i put those in a separate box you know that i do some of the other spacefaring you know films i mean well aliens is spacefaring but um and, and I love those movies too, but I think you know, I think out of those three, you know, the Terminator is definitely my fave out of that. Um, I like how uh, how uh, um, Predator, Aliens, and uh, Blade Runner connect with each other. <laughs> there are all sorts of little things uh, connecting those movies. And there was another movie I fear it's called. Uh, there was kind of like a, a prequel to uh, Blade Runner. Um, an unofficial prequel to uh, Blade Runner or a sequel. I don't remember, but it was something about a universal soldier, I think. Uh, so, was that Prometheus or? No, Prometheus uh, was kind of like a. Uh, um, it, it kind of filled a gap in the uh, alien uh, franchise. But yeah. again, in Prometheus 2, they had references to uh, uh, things that were happening in uh, uh, Alien and Blade Runner as well. So, uh, uh, very interesting stuff. And w- time has run out uh, already uh, in our exploration for today. Uh, Bob, I want to thank you. How can folks uh, tap into your universe and into the greater Star Trek uh, universe that you so wonderfully represent? Well, you can always visit us at on our Facebook page at USS Challenger and also check out our website at uh, ussschallenger.org. Uh, and uh, or just email me at uh, beamaboard at aol.com 
or warpspeed at uh, gmail.com. There's always a, always a way to reach us, you know. Um, actually, uh, just check out our site. There's so many different events that we have coming up uh, that we'd love to, to see you, uh, you know, visit. In fact, we got our Fan Nation uh, event at the library uh, next Saturday, this coming Saturday already, yep. Oh, send me the um, info, and I'll, I'll definitely spread it around. Thanks again, and uh, um, next time we uh, speak, we'll walk people through the process of getting involved with Starfleet International and the fandom here um, uh, throughout the globe, actually, uh, and more specifically here in Northeastern United States. Thank you so very much, Bob. Uh, joyous journeys and awesome adventures. Take care. Thanks again. Okay, we're going to listen to a very brief song called Artemis of the Hunt, and then we'll be back for the second portion of Mythic Adventure. Artemis of the silver bow and arrows formed of silver light, eternal maiden of the moon, beloved leader of the hunt. She stalks her prey fleet and fast With quiver hung across her back The hunt, her power and her bliss When loose her arrows never miss May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true Artemis guide my arrow true Lady of the wild things and forest nymphs running free Her bird is the majestic crane The silver fir her sacred tree Goddess of the moon and hunt Running towards the morning light She runs with lion, wolf and bear Running free with unbound hair May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true Artemis guide my arrow true Goddess of the raging seas Stirs the waves with a silver leash And with a cry and mighty roar She hurls them fast upon the shore Moon maiden rides the night sky In a chariot drawn by four white stags She sets down in a hidden place And calls her maidens to the chase May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true Artemis guide my arrow true May I run with you now through the green forest glade Grant me the honor to join in the chase When the curve of my bow is the crescent moon Artemis guide my arrow true 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 Artemis guide my arrow true
Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. This is the Archons and Aeons episode, which bridges many of our podcasts. And we continue with Pride of Olympus, Mythic Adventure. Joining us is Thomas Ponton, also known as Simbaka Rafkin of the Pride Lantian Empire. Greetings and welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well, Hercules. It's an honor to be on here again. This only just on a few days ago. <laughs> yes, I know. And uh, we didn't really get a chance to discuss very much, so I'm going to try to fit you in as often as possible. <laughs> so today we had a little uh, period window of time here, and I thought that it would be great if we can continue with our exploration. Now, you're involved in a few different aspects of this. I had a Facebook role-playing game. Um, that never concluded. Uh, and now in January, that story will be continuing at the Crestkill Public Library. Uh, we finally caught up to there uh, with the various role-playing games. So I'll be completing that, and this will be just folded into the, um, the bigger campaign. Uh, so uh, you were there in that one as a warrior demigod of the Celts. Uh, would mm-hmm. you like to share a little bit about that? Uh, that one, I was basically a, a Celt from Scotland that ended up in Greece that has to commune with both that of Kyrenos and that of Athena, that he had, had communed with the, the Greek goddess, goddess herself, and that's what how he ended up there on the, on the isles there in Greece. It was helping out the situations that were there, and he had the, the talent of channeling both the god and goddess into him to better understand what they were going through and also using their, their abilities and talents. And you did excellent with that. And uh, right now, if I remember correctly, you're riding a Pegasus and uh, confronting Titans uh, on one of the islands surrounding uh, uh, the sea near Yolkos, where the Argonaut expedition uh, begins. And something is trying to kill off all the demigods. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting battle. It was almost basically leading in charge and giving a good strategy of how to take them on. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day doing that. but. <laughs> and you almost single-handedly won over a hostile army and made them uh, um, uh, you know, follow you into that battle. So that was very impressive. I know. I was quite impressed with myself that. I never thought that would work, but it did. <laughs> Um, and you also, uh, I must share with people that my very first podcast uh, ever uh, was on your show, and you're still doing your show. Would you care to share a little bit about that? Yes, it's the Great North Pagan Podcast. I started it in 2011 with a certain someone else he had left, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I found you on Facebook way back, like seven years ago, and so that's why I decided to interview on you, and that was that was quite the interesting venture. I mean, nowadays with the podcast, I do some storytelling of different stories from like mythic adventures and all that. As a matter of fact, in our LAPC where I do the storytelling, the Lake Agassi Pagan community, I actually uh, just did a, a recent here of storytelling of some old Scottish folk tales. Oh, very with off. Fairies and that. Yeah, with fairies and that. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are also very uh, community conscious, and uh, through your spiritual group and as an individual, you get involved in, uh, you know, charitable uh, events that help people. 
And uh, now through our uh, current uh, Star Trek or Starfleet adventure, uh, we're going to be doing something about the problems with the water uh, in the here and now. So that story is being written and uh, uh, we're going to be playing out that story in real life, trying to do something about the water crisis. Yeah, that should be sound very interesting. I mean, it's especially that it deals with the, the situation that we're dealing with in real life. And that's what uh, truly uh, counts. And uh, you are also an Argonaut in good standing. Uh, and mm-hmm. the Argonauts are still doing interfaith things. And uh, we've initiated, uh, we haven't had any shows on it uh, recently, but uh, we initiated a conversation between people of uh, very varying uh, uh, traditions, both monotheistic and polytheistic, and people who uh, hold more scientific views, uh, and found that uh, if we focus on our values rather than our beliefs, uh, that we can get along better and we can team up and do great things uh, together rather than fighting each other. So I thank you for that. Of course, you're most welcome, because I think, I think if we all put our heads together, that we can get much done. Um, I agree with you 100%. And what else are you doing? You're, you're doing so many things, I can't keep track of them. I Well, I've, I'm part of the Lake Agassiz Pagan community, first of all. And, you know, we we do lots of events and all that. And we're getting more out there. And then, of course, I'm a member of the Order of the Aurora Coven, which is part of the Spell Tree Tradition that's located in Grand Forks, North Dakota. We're a small little coven right now, but we've we we've just recently uh, about let's see about three weeks ago we had an open cell and had some new faces show up there that they got in touch you know touch with their ancestors that they felt really enlightened about. Oh, awesome! Back in back in August, we also had an open divination where we actually taught people that came in to the to bookstore where we held it in Grand Forks of like the different types of divination like ruins and tarot and all that. And I think a lot of people learned a lot that day, too. Oh, that is that is great, because a lot of people aren't aware that uh, divination was a, very much a part of the life of the ancients. And uh, they saw it as natural and, uh, you know, something that they did uh, fairly often. Um, and modern people are ruined by the uh, things you can buy in stores, because that's what their image is of uh, what divination is all about. And not that these divination systems aren't good. Uh, it's just that there's much more to divination than that. You can watch the sky and observe the flight of birds or the movement of clouds mm-hmm. uh, or pick up on passing conversations or open a book at random. And those are all different for- ways of communicating with the universe and getting answers to your questions. Which is interesting because tarot did start out as, as a card game. And as a matter of fact, you can actually use a, a normal deck of 52 playing cards as a tarot deck as well. How does that work? I, I've heard that, but I've never experimented with it. Well, basically, it's like how like the king, the king, queen, jack, and and eight, you know, ace, it kind of work like the like the sun, moon, tower cards, and or less, yeah. And then you have the you have the numeral cards, and then the the diamond spades are like basically like your your sword, your swords, stars. They represent the same thing like you would with a tarot deck. And then basically there's there's a good cross-reference, and I can actually post that. Uh, I made a document of it that I handed out of that divination place 
the event we did that actually breaks it down that if you get like for like the ace of spades, what that represents to what you're asking for. And it works basically in the same principle as you would with any sort of tarot deck. That's very interesting. Yes, if you can post that somewhere, I, I would enjoy reading it. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of fascinating, but that's kind of all like in a sense like all they say on TV. All you, the viewer at home, can do you read with tarot is with the, you know if you have a plane playing cards nearby. Yeah, they 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 have. Uh, I was in a five below today. I don't know if you have five below where you are, but I'm sure there are similar uh, type of stores. Uh, they have uh, clearance items. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they have a lot of games and a lot of books, and they used to have a lot of uh, uh, DVDs and uh, and things like that, but they don't uh, as much anymore. Uh, but uh, there's been a tarot kit for sale there for five dollars. It's a, a beautiful looking tarot set. It's based on the Wade Ryder deck, and uh, huh. it comes with like a book and uh, uh, you know like uh, something explaining how to do the reading. So it's uh, it's uh, quite a bargain for five bucks. That's yeah. There's old. There's many different kinds. I mean, there's like a steampunk kind. Um, one of yeah. my fellow club mates has actually a DC tarot deck. Um, the one I use commonly is called the Animals Companion deck, which a lot of the tarot cards are different animals, but they also have the many different gods and goddesses as well. And the book will tell in detail what the card means, and then of course a background. If it's an animal, it tells like how that animal correlates to that card to give you an understanding of its meaning. Or if it's a god or goddess, it gives actually a history of that god or goddess for that card. Hmm. That that sounds interesting. I like the mythic tarot and uh, the Olympian tarot, but uh, I've developed my own like ways of using it. It's that's based more on the mythology than uh, of ancient Greece rather than the mythology of the the tarot. And uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty much what I've been doing with it. And that's what's interesting with the tarot is that you can also do it not necessarily of necessarily what the book or what you feel is comfortable. If you feel you want to do it in a certain fashion, and especially with whatever spread you do it, if it's just the simple three cards, past, present, and future, or I usually do the horseshoe spread, which is seven cards. You can move uh-huh. up to the, like the Celtic cross, which is like a good 11 cards. I mean, wow. depending on what you're asking for, of course. <laughs> I used to when I when I did uh, daily divinations when I was using the uh, the mythological decks um, I would either do a one card for the day or I would do a three card you know for like uh, specific uh, questions uh, and every now and then I used to like playing with the, the systems that came with the uh, cards and for the Olympian tarot uh, the way they have the suits divided. I came up with uh, an you know, original way of uh, doing readings, and that seemed to work for me because I didn't need to look in the book. I, I could just – it was something I cobbled together that spoke to me personally, so I did that. Well, that's what's always good when you find a tarot deck that is, when it feels like bond that, that calls out to you, then you know that's the, the deck you have. Now, I also have an Egyptian deck. One, it never leaves the house, and two, whenever I use it, it's like that best friend that wherever you ask for advice, they don't sugarcoat it. They get blunt and to the point. The yeah. Egyptian deck, for whatever reason, does that. And I warn people if they ever ask me to use it, it's like, it's not me that's saying that. That's the deck that's saying that. <laughs> I know what you mean. The, the runes, which I spent many years studying and many years uh, teaching. Uh, I, I Like the, the, the 
uh, Olympian type of divination systems. Not that they sugarcoat the truth, but they're kind of easygoing and uh, and mellow uh, in a way. Although at times, you know, very like high and, uh, and mighty, um, they're still very human and humane. Uh, the runes were always uh, gloom and doom, even when talking about positive and empowering things. So uh, I used to warn people when I did rune readings uh, that, uh, you know, the runes are a lot more negative than I am. You know, they, they look at things uh, uh, from a, a, with a greater degree of caution than, than I do. My cover mate, my cover mate does the Norse runes very well. And he knows them like the back well, of hand practically. Yeah, I, I used to, I used to love studying the runes and uh, the Eddas, and I, uh, I remember like Garm Bays Loud in Knipa Cave, the fetter shall snap and the wolf run free, the future <laughs> I found further can see, the death of the gods, invincible gods, would you know more? Yeah, awesome stuff like like that. That's from the Halva. Yeah, that's that's always been so wonderful. But you know, and I've studied a little bit of the other forms, like numerology, a little bit, and all that, which is kind of fascinating. Where you basically like add up your the numbers in your birthday, and that can give you the reading. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I've 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 pretty much just stuck it to the 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 to the the, the tarot. Although I have studied a little bit of the bone rolling recently, which is kind of you know basically comes from mostly like from Africa and all that, where you basically take chicken bones or you use bones from any sort of animal and you roll them and depending on how the bones land, gives you your reading. Yes, uh, I've, I've heard they, they used to read knuckle bones in ancient Greece uh, as well. So that, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I've never tried it, uh, but uh, I'm, fi- I'm familiar with it through my reading. And uh, Thomas, our, our journey is over already. It just began today, but all we had was a small 20-minute uh, window. Uh, I will be having oh. you on uh, more often. And uh, in addition to this uh, story we're writing uh, together and uh, the charitable things we're working on together, um, I want to start exploring your spirituality more. Uh, you also channel Athena. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I have so many questions about that. And I know that our um, listeners would be very interested in that as well. So we'll have to schedule another day very soon. Uh, I'm glad we got a chance to talk today, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk last week, and I look forward to our next conversation. I look forward to that again, dear Hercules. I, I'm, thank you again for having you on your show. And how can folks get in contact with you and enter your wonderful world? Uh, they can find me on Facebook as Thomas Button, or my email address is tomwaterwitch at live.com. And if they're interested in some in Prylandian Empire, they can look for Simbaka Rafikin on Facebook. I'm also on Star Trek Online sometimes as Mordovian Rafikin on there. So if you ever pop on there and go to do some missions with me, you're more than welcome. And uh-huh. then you can also look up, and then you can also on YouTube look up the Great North Pagan Podcast, and that's my podcast on there. And I'm also, and then if you're interested in your North Dakota area, uh, com. And the Lake Agassiz Pagan Community on Facebook. Thank you. You, you certainly have plenty of ways for people to reach you. Um, and again, mm-hmm. thanks a lot. Uh, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. I look forward to it again, dear Hercules. Uh, we're now going to listen to Jenna Green's Muse uh, for inspiration for all of us. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes.
half of our show and visit with Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany, our scholars from the edge of time. Greetings, old scholars. How are you? Hey, uh, good evening, Hercules. Uh, uh, this is Nick. I hope you're doing very, very well. Oh, I'm doing very, very well. It's great to be connecting with you guys. Oh, I'll let you take over. Uh, it's very good to connect with you too, Hercules. This um, Good evening. I'm sorry, our cat fell off of a counter just right Ooh. at that moment. So we're is she okay? Sure she's okay. Uh, yeah, I think her ego's just bruised a little bit, but uh, yeah, she's she was laying and and all, I think she must have shifted and fell right off and didn't know better. So she's good. We're 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 safe. <laughs> I'm glad my uh, puppy uh, discovered that it could jump from uh, any one of a number of places and land in my lap. 
so uh, uh, that's been happening a lot uh, lately. <laughs> and also she's uh, been inclined to add her commentary uh, sometimes, you know, and she's very vocal and emphatic about what she says. So uh, <laughs> I share my home with uh, uh, four-legged family members as well. Yeah, we, we kind of thought that uh, Cecily would would want to talk at some point during the, the podcast, but now she's probably going to be very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but she's welcome to contribute, though, so uh, I leave the invitation open. Aw. So, I've been, so what's on your mind? I'm sorry? I say, what's on your mind tonight, sir? What's on my mind? just wanted to uh, catch up um, and uh, basically start uh, um, learning what you guys have been doing. And uh, I catch your Facebook posts occasionally. And it sounds like you're doing some very exciting things, uh, both in terms of your writing and in terms of uh, your tiki drinking. Uh, and uh, uh, so I just want to catch up with things and then uh, spin some ideas for next year. Sure. Um, so a couple things I've been working on and are reading, I can definitely share. Okay. Um, it's been a while since uh, we've been a solo meeting. Uh, I don't know if uh, the last time we talked, if I had said I, I turned in the uh, edits for my Westworld essay. So that's uh, off to the editor and will be published uh, sometime next year. And that's when that's I was all- looking at the uh, sword elements of the original Westworld film. You had mentioned that you were doing that, but you hadn't mentioned that it was uh, finished. It, it basically, yeah, it's finished until the publisher comes back. And it's the same publisher Michelle and I have worked with other books. We're just going through a different editor for it. Um, but yeah, uh, that essay's complete. I had to go and watch the first season of Westworld, which doesn't have any peplum elements into it. But I was able to, uh, you know, <laughs> very cleverly uh, use uh, stuff from the TV show to help bolster my sword and sandal claims from the uh, the movie. Uh, very cool. I'm very happy. Out. So it's nice to, uh, you know, get some more uh, peplum academia out there. Uh, since I hadn't really done too much since, you know, the the new peplum book came out. Um, hold on. I learned something, though, that um, there's a book that just got released uh, last week called The Borgia Family, Rumor and Representation, and it's about the, the Borgia uh, okay. folks of, I think, Italy. I, I yeah. know nothing about the Borgia. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a collection of essays from uh, Rutledge. And they, they cite my Peplum book in it. They specifically cite my introduction to my Peplum book. Well, that and is so great. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm flattered by it. I'm perplexed by it. But I'll, I'll take, you know, that, hey, someone looked at the Peplum book and said, I could use this. And they did. <laughs> and uh, I've requested a copy from my library just because i got to feed my ego a little bit and, you know, thumb through well, and say, course. okay, where am I, where am I? Actually, you brought up a new peplum. I was thinking of uh, um, having a regular show monthly for like uh, 20 uh, to 40 minutes um, and focusing on the new peplum because there has been a lot of new uh, peplum. 
Um, I just saw a ultra low budget uh, Theseus and the Minotaur. Uh, then there was a, a film festival uh, uh, winner, Antigone. Uh, there was a modern version of the Odyssey called uh, Ulysses. Uh, and there were a bunch of other, uh, you know, new Peplum uh, type of uh, movies. Uh, so I thought of you, and I thought it would be interesting to start focusing on those um, on a regular basis. And then with uh, Michelle, I thought of uh, her passion for mummies. And uh, I was organizing my mummy film collection, and I realized how many of the movies there are. Uh, and I thought it would be fun to focus on mummies uh, monthly as well. Oh no, we I I know for sure we'd be definitely down for that. And in fact, it's almost prophetic that you brought up these low budget peplum films because we have a another academic colleague and he's uh working out right now uh looking to do an anthology of essays on asylum films. And asylum is like a really, yeah. really, really low budget film company. You know, they do the Sharknado films. Um but and I just know them as they just do bad movies. But I didn't realize they have a crap ton of peplum films. You know they have a, yeah. a Ben Hur knockoff. They've got a um, Hercules. Uh, yeah, they they have all these knockoffs. And of course, I, I told our friend, yeah, uh, I need to. You know, uh, when you get this formalized and an actual call for papers out, I, I will be submitting to this and I will be diving deep deep into these really, really, you know, B-grade uh, peplum films. And I, I picked up a couple of them. I haven't watched them yet, but, like, the Ben-Hur knockoff I picked up, and I picked up uh, uh, Troy. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a knockoff of Troy, except it looks like a, a Ray Harryhausen film, which is kind of shocking because there hasn't been a, a Harryhausen-esque peplum film since, you know, the Clash of the Titans movies. Right. So, the, uh, yeah, the Minotaur that uh, again, it's it's not uh, the same quality as uh, um, those old uh, movies, but it's in their spirit. And they even have stop motion animation with uh, the Minotaur. No, I I would definitely like to uh, wouldn't mind talking about those films. I've definitely been reading a lot of new Peplum, Neo Peplum comics lately. Uh, I just got done reading one called. Polis. It's actually a part one of a part three, and it's about Socrates right after the Peloponnese yeah. War. And I, I just did a review of it, and it will be published later this Thursday. But I enjoyed that one immensely. And I just it just arrived in the mail not yesterday. It's called Three by uh, Gillian Kelly, and it's basically a subversion of 300. And it's about Three folks back in you know ancient Sparta, they they take revenge on a, a group of uh, Spartans that you know destroyed their town, and now they're being pursued by them. And uh, it sounds super uh, interesting and promising. So, you know, not just film, but I wouldn't mind you know getting back into uh, you know all the different peplum stuff out there, just kind of gobbling it all up. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, there's also many, uh, like you said, with uh, the uh, Socrates comic book, there's a lot of uh, uh, peplum elements in comics. And I, I've seen your review, uh, by the way, of the Socrates uh, comic. Um, so, yes, and uh, let's not forget Creeps with uh, the Machiste uh, um, uh, series starting there. I don't know how he's going to continue with that. 
<laughs> but uh, um, the first story was a lot of fun. Wait, what one's that one? I don't know that one. Oh, you don't know that one? In uh, Creeps no. Magazine. Um, oh, okay, because I Donald, Donald Glut did a uh, machiste story, machiste against Dracula. Okay, I mean, I know the magazine. I've seen it first. I, I know it, that goes back to the old like EC era of stuff, and I know it's kind of got resurrected. I didn't realize that uh, Don Glut had a hand in it, and I didn't realize that there was a machiste story in one of the issues. So I, I know yes, Michelle and- picked up a couple. The creeps uh, at a comic book con, I think, last year. So, okay. No, I did not know about that. Yes, in issue 21, which is the holiday issue, um, my okay. uh, comic book store ran out of them. So I had to order one uh, from, uh, I believe, either eBay or Amazon. Um, so it was more pricey than, because uh, I guess it was a limited run. A lot of people wanted it. But there's a Machiste against Dracula story. And it was really okay. good. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It had a twist ending. So the twist ending would have been okay if it was a, uh, um, a standalone tale. Uh, but Don, he's been on the show a couple of times, said that that's the first in the series. So I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody, but I'm wondering how they're possibly <laughs> going to continue the story from where he left it. But uh, uh, they're also coming out with uh, um, the Odd Odyssey, I think, or something about the Odyssey. Um, and uh, that will be coming out a couple of issues from now where they're doing a, a, a creep's tale of the Odyssey. So uh, th- that's great. All right. Now, uh, I will see if I can procure a copy. I'm at the, the website for it right now, and I, you said uh, if it's a limited issue, maybe I'm already a little too late, but we shall – no, wait, here we go. has a picture of Santa on the cover. Okay, yeah, that's so not Santa. Santa. <laughs> All right. No, thanks for the heads up on that one. I, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, it, it's funny because, you know, as the neo-peplum genre still kind of languishes in cinematic format, you know, it's still nice to see it alive and well in comics, video games, and other forms. So, you know, I'm all about uh, not just focusing on the, the film aspect of peplum, but, you know, other aspects of it as well, the, taking the very transmedia approach to it. Yes, and uh, um, it's it, it's a lot of fun. So uh, for me, because I, I watch the same movies over and over and over again, fortunately there's like tons of them. So it takes a good couple of years to go through them all. Um, but So it's really good to be seeing uh, uh, new ones come out. And uh, thank you for turning me on to Troy the Odyssey by Asylum. Now i got to get a copy of that to watch. That one, I watched the preview for it. It actually looks legit fun. And the Ben-Hur knockoff, Looks like it could be fun as well. There's also a Pompeii knockoff. However, when I looked at that, it looks like it's not really a peplum film. It's more of a Dante's Peak type film taking place in modern times. And okay. so, it's not really peplum, but probably still worth you know for me to check out to say, okay, obviously they're trying to capitalize on the Paul W. S. Anderson Pompeii film, uh, but doing it in a different way. So, yeah, and they also they have a mummy film. And Michelle picked that up, and we watched it, and it was bad, dude. It was so bad. Really? But I'm going to let Michelle talk about that one during her uh, time. Okay. Uh, uh, other thing awesome. I wanted, because we're talking. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. I said that's awesome. 
since we're talking about comics and you brought up Tiki earlier, uh, another uh, project I just finished and sent off to my editor was my uh, article for a, a Tiki magazine that, you know, I write for, Exotica Modern. And uh-huh. I did a big uh, retrospective of these Easter Island alien comics that Marvel was putting out. Um, so uh, way back in the way back when they were doing, uh, you know, Tales to Astonish, Where Monsters Dwell, Chamber of yes. Chills, and uh, Where Creatures Roam, they had these Easter Island stories where the Maui statues were really uh, alien invaders that were just kind of in hibernation mode waiting for, um, you know, their signal to come and take over the earth. And they, they did quite a few of these. And it, it kind of uh, came to a, a head in a, a Thor comic in the early 80s called Thor, A Kingdom Lost, where uh, Loki you know, uses these uh, magic stones to bring the uh, the Maui back to life to, uh, you know, combat Thor. And, of course, it doesn't work because, you know, Thor kicks ass. Um, but I, I just did a huge retrospective of these uh, comics. The, the aliens are called the uh, Lithodian Rexians. And they still make mm. cameo appearances now and then, like in Deadpool and Civil War and stuff. So it's just, it was kind of a neat to explore, like, these really old pulpy Marvel comics and how they're kind of, they're kind of still kicking, but not really, but you know, at the intersection of pulp tiki and, uh, you know, old comics. That'd be great if they started popping up in the MCU. (laughs) You you know what? Here's my feeling is they're there and they're not used. There's, you know, it's time for them as their true calling in the, the actual comics. To, to rise up and, you know, there's a story waiting for them to be told. And maybe, you know, an MCU cameo or something is just perfect for them. I mean, they're Marvel, they're canon to Marvel stuff. They're sitting there just neglected and waited to be used. In fact, um, uh, oh, I don't know where I was going with that. But I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's a huge, we're talking decades upon decades upon decades of Marvel stuff and you know, Marvel didn't just do superhero stuff. They did sci-fi and horror and mystery. And, you know, that's all stuff that could be, you know, adapted to, you know, not just the Marvel MCU superhero universe, but, you know, other things as well. I think they're aiming for uh, opening up the door to horror through Doctor Strange and the Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. Because uh, uh, in addition to the characters like uh, Blade and uh, I heard they were bringing back Dracula, um, in addition to the horror characters that are comic booky, um, they could start making horror movies that would take place in the Marvel universe, but uh, they wouldn't have much to do with uh, you know the normal uh, um, spandex superheroes. You know, uh, I think Michelle will want to speak to that when she comes on in a few minutes because. It was her birthday earlier this month. I gave her Happy a, a comic series. <laughs> Thank you. I, I gave her a comic series of The Punisher called Frankencastle, where it's Frankenstein and the mummy and all that stuff. And oh, Michelle cool. could speak all about it. <laughs> um, I think the final thing, uh, so I think I alluded to it very briefly previously, but I did kind of get roped into one more peplum project. 
and I've got a pretty quick turnaround on it, a little over a month, so I think I can make it. But there's a, a book that's going to be coming out, I think, next year from a publisher called Vernon Press, and it's going to be focusing on the 20-year anniversary of Gladiator, uh, one that makes me feel really old. Uh, but wow, also yeah. Gladiator, it's, you know, impact on, you know, film and pop culture and all that stuff. And um, they were short a couple essays, and so I'll be doing a very short essay on industrial bands that sample dialogue from Gladiator. And uh, uh, I've actually found about three of them, and I've I've got wow. two folks on board that, uh, you know, maybe do a couple questions with the site. So, you know, I think that'll be a, a very interesting, and you know, you know me, I like doing really offbeat and uh, uh, yeah. fringe type stuff. So, yeah, so I, I'll, I'm going to be knee deep pretty soon in trying to do this uh, Gladiator essay. And I haven't watched Gladiator in a very long time, so that'll be nice to uh, uh, revisit that as well. Yeah, it, it, it definitely uh, would be. Uh, I was looking through some DVDs uh, um, earlier uh, today, and I came across my Gladiators as well as my Egyptian movies. So uh, uh, I'm still missing a bunch of the Egyptian movies, so I have to look for more boxes. But uh, uh, the Roman movies, I think, are finally uh, on their shelves, so I could find them easily. You gotta gotta take a, a selfie of you sitting triumphantly in front of your your peplum collection. <laughs> My peplum collection's up in the bedroom. It's downstairs uh, uh, in our library. There's peplum all over the place. Because um, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> but uh, maybe I will. Maybe I'll send a, a, a selfie. Do it. Yeah, Michelle and I, a good chunk of our stuff's in storage. We just don't have enough room in our apartment, but, you know, we've got, you know, so many books, comics, DVDs, and, you know, every once in a while, our, our project shift. It's like, okay, I've got to run out to, to storage and pick up these uh, other books that we didn't think we were going to need for a while. Oops, we need them now. Yep, I, I've, I've been there, done that. <laughs> so um, how can people... Yeah. How can people, because you're doing, you're always doing things, and uh, um, how can people best uh, follow all the things that you're doing? Okay. Well, I have my website. It's nickdiak.com, and I keep it super up to date with, you know, everything I'm uh, working on. And I think it's considered an RSS feed, so you can, like, you know, subscribe to it, I guess, or I'm not quite sure how that works, but... You know, all the projects I'm working on, appearances, you know, after this, I'll be adding, you know, our little podcast chat here to it to say, hey, everyone, I was on Hercules' awesome. uh, you know, Voice of Olympus. Oh, yeah, I have a giant section of all my uh, Hercules appearances. But oh, that's that's the cool. easiest I'll, way to kind I'll of... I'll put a link on it. Uh, I'll put a link on uh, that page periodically on my timeline. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean... And and I just think it's, you know, it's nice to kind of keep track of what you've done because um, it's uh-huh. nice to also revisit and also, you know, go back and re-support, you know, folks that you've done something with. You know, I don't think a thing is truly, you know, hey, I, I wrote this essay. Hey, I wrote this review. Hey, I was on this podcast. You know, I think a lot of folks treat that those things as kind of ephemeral type stuff like, okay, you know, in two weeks who's going to. Who cares about this review you wrote? Or who cares? You know, I don't think so. I think any sort of thing that's a dialogue has currency to it. 
so yeah, I keep track of all that stuff, but my, my website constantly updated anytime something's published, anytime I'm working on something. And then from there, it's links to all my social media, Facebook, Twitter. I, I keep it as a nice centralized hub. That is awesome. I know some of our other hosts uh, and regular guests do that. Uh, um, the folks from uh, the Sixth Revelation, uh, they take the shows that they're on, they edit them, and they put them on uh, YouTube. Uh, and then I was just informed that two other regular guests do the same thing. They have like a, a whole list of every single show they've been on, what the topics were, and they've attached them to their web pages. So that is, that is awesome. So I, I will link to it. I'll look for it and I'll link to it. Awesome. And as the, the year ends, and I understand that you're taking a hiatus until January. Am I correct in, in that? A hiatus? That was what I understood, that you guys requested some time off, or did I not understand that correctly? Just for the Star Trek uh, uh, RPG oh, stuff. We okay. just haven't had any, you know, do any RPG stuff, you know, what our characters are doing. So just we've been trying to juggle work in our other projects, so we had to kind of right. give up something. So it's easier for us to, yeah, you know, appear, appear on Voice of Olympus to talk about projects or interview people. That's pretty easy for us to do. But the, the Star Trek stuff, we're like, okay, we'll have to uh, take a small break from that. We just hadn't done anything for it and felt kind of bad. Oh, well, me, you needn't feel bad. No, that's no problem. Uh, you can hop in anytime you'd like or not at all. You know, it's, it's there if you want it. And, uh, okay, great. Now okay. I understand. I, I thought I had to juggle the yeah. schedule for the next couple of months. I'm glad I don't. <laughs> oh, no, no, you should be good. No, we just needed a, uh, from the Star Trek, uh, no, the Voice of Olympus doing what we're doing right now, that, you know, still a once a month thing, you know, it's, it's easy for us to sit down and say, oh, yeah, this is what we're working on, because, you know, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so, yeah, we're totally okay. No hiatus. We're good. Okay, awesome. I, I'm incredibly relieved uh, to hear that. Um, okay, so we know how to contact you. We, uh, we have a, uh, a taste of all the wonderful things that uh, you are doing and uh, the things that you've been up to. I noticed that you've also been uh, posting recipes uh, for your uh, tiki experiments. I, I do that, and I'm hoping, if we're talking uh, you know, stuff to accomplish in the coming year, is I really want to start on my tiki horror project, you know, the intersection of tiki culture and H.P. Lovecraft. And, uh, you know, I just got to clear the slate from other things. But, you know, I keep finding myself drawn into other things, such as this gladiator essay and so on and so forth. I just I can't escape the allure of sword and sandals. <laughs> I know what you mean there, and I'm, I'm in the same place. I've had to start giving up things that I do. Uh, because uh, I was spread out way too thin. And even though I was moving forward, I was moving forward at a snail's uh, pace in certain areas. So um, I've had to put some things on the shelf and some things I've had to give up so uh, that I could uh, start getting momentum and moving forward again. So thank you, Nick. You're awesome. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. We'll, we'll be talking sometime in December, but uh, we're always grateful that you invite us on, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful evening. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to, to hear my uh, chatter. <laughs> and happy Thanksgiving.
Thank you so very much. You too, sir. Thank you. And uh, Michelle, are you ready or should I take a brief music break? What would you like? Uh, no, I'm I'm ready. Okay, onwards then. Greetings, Michelle Brittany. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing very well, Hercules. It's nice to speak with you. It feels like it's, I know it was just since last month, but it feels like much longer than that. <laughs> yes, it does. That's how I felt uh, too. Um, so what are some of the things that you've been up to? Um, well, mostly work, but when I'm not uh, spending a lot of time uh, at work, uh, I've been trying to catch up on various projects. Research. And uh, complete uh, research uh, for my mummy book that I've been kind of on hiatus with for, for a while. Um, embarrassingly, embarrassingly so. Um, same with my uh, Michelle's musings on mummies. I haven't had really a whole lot of time to work on that. Um, so I'm actually hoping um, to get back into that starting in January. Um, but I have been trying to do a little bit of reading um, to kind of, you know, keep in the whole mummy in ancient Egypt uh, uh, venue of uh, storytelling, whether it be nonfiction or fiction. Um, and it's like Nick was saying, um, for my birthday, he uh, got me uh, Punisher Franken, Frankencastle. Uh, so that was, that was a whole lot of fun. It, it, it wasn't something that I was aware of. I'm not exactly sure how he dug it up, but um, it was uh, definitely unique uh, with regards to Punisher. Because uh, I actually, I'll be honest, I although I like the character, I hadn't read anything uh, about the Punisher before. So this was really my first foray into the comic book world with regards to um the Punisher. Um, have, have you, for chance? No, I, I've read some Punisher stories, and I've, I've, I've seen the movies and the television show. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that much of the, about the Punisher uh, beyond that. Um, the I used to love the Marvel monsters until uh, Jim Shooter killed them all, <laughs> and they disappeared from the Marvel <laughs> Universe for, for quite a while. Uh, but I used to read Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, The Living Mummy, uh, Frankenstein. I used to read all of them, and I used to pick up the oversized uh, magazines as well um, you know, to continue their adventures. So I was a very big fan. And still, to this day, my wife is a big fan of the Universal Monsters. So we have Universal Monsters all over the, all over the place, uh, memorabilia and things like that. <laughs> Sounds like uh, our home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I, I well, imagine the Punisher with uh, the monsters. Uh, I, I bet he shot lots of bullets <laughs> in the story. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think uh, you might enjoy this story um, as well as your wife. Um, it has, it takes a kind of a little bit different, you know, the the monsters as kind of the good guys. Um, okay. And I, I won't too much, but uh, the Punisher ends up 
uh, aligned with the monsters. Um, obviously, he's a, a Frankencastle, uh, which alludes to the fact that he becomes a Frankenstein-esque uh, character. And so he uh, he's aligned with the monsters. And they have to fight this very nasty villain, um, which is kind of, you know, stereotypical. It is a uh, German fellow. Um, who has uh, revenge on his mind. Um, so that that isn't too unique, um, but I did like seeing uh, the various monsters, uh, Dracula, um, the werewolf, um, obvious uh, Frank Castles, Franken uh, Castle, and the mummy, um, all as kind of these good characters. And so it was nice to see uh, them explored in a more positive light, but then also sharing, um, you know, kind of the drama between the various mm-hmm. characters and, there's, you know, friendships, there's certain alliances, um, and, you know, even even amongst the monsters, there's melodrama. <laughs> so, um so that was actually a lot of fun. I really actually enjoyed the story um, and hope to write something more about it, um, probably on my blog, um, you know, in January or something. But uh, one thing that I did actually enjoy, several years ago, um, I read uh, about the character Mobius, who had shown up in um, Spider-Man. And I don't remember yeah. which issue, but yeah. So he he's actually in um, this uh, trade paperback uh, story arc as well. So it's actually really cool. Uh, I got to see the mummy in kind of a positive light. He was definitely a supporting character, but then we got to see uh, Mobius and other Universal type monsters um, in the story, and it was it was a lot of fun. So. It, it sounds like a lot of uh, fun, and uh, I'm sure that uh, my eyes will now be open for it. So uh, it'll cross my path at some point that I will know what it is and uh, pick it up. Uh, that is so great. Yeah, so um, and kind of following on um, that whole vein of, of reading uh, with regards to mummies that I'm always doing. Um, uh, Nick again uh, kind of put me on to an, another writer. Um, I am familiar with, and I've read a couple of stories by Elizabeth Peters, um, who writes about Amelia Peabody, uh, the archaeologist, and she's during the Victorian times. Um, and I, I've enjoyed those, and I was uh, it was brought to my attention that there are a couple of other writers out there um, that write mysteries uh, set in ancient Egypt. And so I actually mm. started reading Linda S. Robinson's uh, Lord Mirren. It's M-E-R-E-N. He's the um, he's the pharaohs. Oh, boy, I wish I could remember that now. I think he's the, the eyes and ears of the pharaoh. And um, it the pharaoh is touched. So it's set during, um, let's see, that would be the 18th dynasty. And um, this fellow is, you know, feared by a lot of people. He's very 
uh, highly placed um, in the government with the pharaoh. Um, he has some dealings with uh, um, Akhenaten uh, reign, um, and so he's got some kind of bad blood with regards to that. Uh, but he is uh, kind of an uh, ancient Egyptian detective. And uh, so I've read the first couple of books and really enjoyed them. And um, while I was reading that, uh, we found uh, Lauren Haney, who's written mysteries of set in ancient Egypt as well. Um, she also has like about six or seven books in the series, same as Robinson. Um, so I can't, I can't uh, recommend her yet because I haven't had a chance to read hers. But I found it rather interesting that um, it gives a different light to ancient Egypt um, and kind of brings it to life. Um, and but also in kind of a mysterious and intriguing way, um, and it makes me kind of wonder how else can we write about ancient Egypt? Um, obviously, fiction. I, Norman Mailer uh, wrote about uh, ancient Egypt. Uh, ancient evenings, yes. Yeah. yeah, ancient e- evenings. Very good book. Um, and but it's it's interesting to kind of start mediating how ancient Egypt is portrayed in various fictional books and um, whether it's typically horror or if it's, you know, a mystery, um, how is it set? Um, And uh, so that's been very interesting. I've actually enjoyed the mystery books quite a bit um, and would definitely say, you know, Robinson is a is a good author to check out. Um, they're fairly quick reads um, and uh, kind of a lot a, a lot of fun. Very entertaining. Um, I think she she is a um, anthropologist by trade. So um, in reading her first books, I I do feel like she does try to make an effort to um, portray fairly accurately um, ancient Egypt um, and what it would have been like at that time uh, delving into the various class systems. Obviously, it it stays more at, um, you know, the higher end of the social class, um, but she does bring in the more worker um, class through Lord Marin's son, who he adopted uh, from the worker camp Uh, on the West Bank from Thebes. So uh, I think she does try to uh, stretch across that social social class. Um, The first book was set in, um, oh gosh, uh, in the Anubis uh, workshop or kind of the embalming workshop. So that's, that's initially what kind of drew me because I was like, oh, hey, mummies. You know, um, and so it really, you know, brought to light uh, the um, the traditions, the mythology, the respect towards the embalming process. Um, she really brought out quite a bit of that, uh, which made it a, a much more interesting read 
um, and a way to um, enter that world in in a in a little more entertaining, light-hearted way that's not you know um, laden with a lot of facts and years and things like that uh, allows people that are that are interested a, a way into uh, learn more about the culture. Um, I will say that that's you know something that I really like about her book and like um, Elizabeth Peters, who is a pseudonym for Barbara Mertz, who is also Egyptologist. Um, so you know I like those kind of stories where they do really try to lean into uh, the mythologies and truths of the culture. Yes. That sounds phenomenally interesting. I know I, I had back in the day uh, read some detective novels uh, that were set in uh, ancient Rome, and uh, I don't remember the authors or the titles of the book uh, offhand, but I remember for a while I enjoyed them uh, greatly, and uh, uh, just the, their reconception of the role of the detective uh, in light of the cultures the person found himself in and uh, was uh, interacting with and investigating made them really fascinating reads. So uh, what you um, describe for the Egyptian uh, mystery stories uh, sounds uh, familiar and intriguing. Yeah, um, I'd be very curious to hear more about um, your stories that you're that you've read. Um, who that author is, um, because I'm always trying to look for more ancient civilization stories. Um, I think they're just so fascinating, um, and it really gives you insight into to some of the cultures. You know, you take it with a grain of salt, but um, it it is a way to kind of immerse yourself in that culture as we would if we were doing, you know, RPG games and things like that, a way to um, connect um, and kind of bring to life and provide a a more unique experience because we're getting to know people on an individual level versus, you know, general historical reading. That is uh, awesome. I had talked to uh, Nicholas uh, a little while ago that uh, I was thinking of uh, one of the options uh, for your show, your monthly show, was uh, for Nicholas to focus on the new Peplum films coming out and for you to focus on the um, the genre of mummy movies because I had found most of my mummy movies um, and uh, there are a lot of them. I hadn't realized how many of them there were. So I thought it would be an interesting thing to start focusing on them like we did uh, uh, in the past with the Scorpion King and uh, the other mummy films. Um, and Nicholas said that you uh, came across a very bad mummy movie recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have it right at my fingertips, but yes, it's the one from Asylum uh, Films. It's kind of interesting. Okay. This one was actually on their list of movies um, at Wikipedia. So um, at first we didn't think that there was any mummy films by by that um, by that group, but then uh, Nick did some digging and actually found that they had one. Um, but yeah, I would definitely be interested. And in fact, while Nick was talking with you, um, I ordered another um, bad film. I'm sure. 
uh, called The Sands of Oblivion. Have you heard I of have it? That. Yes, I've seen that one. That's in my collection. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, I ordered it, and I will have it very shortly. Um, I'm very excited about this because of the connection with the Ten Commandments and Cecil B. DeMille. Um because, of course, that's my kind of my era of movies, um, the silent film. So I'm very excited about this. I'm, I'm sure it'll be bad, but um, I'm a sucker for, for, for mummy movies. So I would definitely be interested in chatting more and, you know, kind of conversing, sharing, sharing the, you know, watching the same movies and then talking about them, definitely. They, they are definitely interesting. And some of the bad ones are so bad that they're good. Uh, and then some of them are just awful. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I'm fascinated with mummies uh, as well. And uh, recently, uh, because uh, my wife Athena is into the Universal, we've been watching the Universal um, mummy movies, then the Hammer mummy movies. Uh, and uh, she doesn't like watching the really bad ones, but I do. <laughs> so um, I have a stack of them to go through uh, um, when I can budget some time to watch them, but uh, uh, they're a lot of fun. I like movies in antiquity also. Um, and uh, uh, Ron Carson, who's on uh, one of the voice of Olympus uh, shows, um, he uh, has been doing like biblical epics. So this way we can show a very wide variety of uh, ancient uh, films. You can talk about them. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, with those biblical epics, Egypt is often involved. Uh, yeah. You know, as we were just saying the Ten Commandments, obviously, you know, with with Moses and Egypt and the, the exodus out of, out of that country. Um, yeah, that would be very interesting. I, I would be very gutted. I actually haven't watched the Ten Commandments in, in ages, um, and our downstairs neighbors want to revisit it, and so um, we want to watch that, and I think the other one is uh, Ben-Hur, because Nick and I actually haven't seen that The original one with uh, Charlton Heston, or? Correct. Yeah, we haven't seen that one. My wife and I are going to start watching uh, Spartacus, the the Stars uh, series, um, again uh, soon. We just finished watching... uh, um, a series that we've been watching for a while, and we're going to watch uh, Spartacus again next, and then uh, probably uh, watch Rome, and then uh, um, I, Claudius. So uh, we're going to be in that era for quite a while. Um, so Hercules is I, Claudius, is that the BBC version, the, the British version from like the 70s? Yes, yes. Um, we have a DVD set with uh, the, the whole series, unedited. Uh, so uh, that's uh, one of the shows that, you know, um, that's one of the shows that we watch every couple of years. So it's its turn now. <laughs> so we're going to watch it again. Oh, that sounds really exciting. I don't think that I, um, I haven't seen that one. I've wanted to actually watch the stars um, Spartacus show and I'll, I'll be honest I, I probably was not in the right mind uh, space at the time but um, I started to watch the first episode and it's definitely a violent show Yeah. and I just 
the in the right mindset at the time. So I I haven't gone back to it, but Nick and I have talked about actually sitting down to watch the series um, because we've heard great stuff about it. So and it it's in his wheelhouse. It it was bloody the um, throughout all the seasons, but. Uh, for the first season, they they, they were uh, mimicking 300 a lot. So there was a lot of the uh, freeze frames and slow motion and things like that. Fortunately, they stopped doing that. <laughs> but in the first season, there was tons of it. Well, that's, that's good to hear. And how was the transition um, between actors? Because, of course, I know that the, the fellow that went yes. in the first season regrettably passed away. Um, and I think it, uh, Liam, and I can't remember his last name. I actually interviewed him, but I can't remember his last oh, name awesome. now. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name offhand uh, either. Um, let me see if I can look it up while we're talking. But he was excellent, and uh, the other actor who placed him was also excellent, but it was very jarring because they played the role very differently. Mm-hmm. So... It, it it was very difficult uh, um, to adjust to the change in star. Mm-hmm. They um, were supposed then, to make a Julius Caesar movie, but they never got around to doing it because they introduced Julius Caesar, uh, and they had a different portrayal of him as well. And they were talking about a spinoff, but that never happened. Well, that would be an interesting series as well. Um, yeah, I've, I've been watching, um, a couple of the episodes and I'm, I might be able to find it, um, that's on Netflix and it's, it kind of fits with the, the religious, um, aspect that you have been like kind of pursuing. Um, and Uh I think it was like something, was something about God and it's, um, it is uh, hosted by Morgan Freeman. Yes, I Let's found that in Kmart. I found both seasons in Kmart, uh, so I picked it up. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I do have that. Uh, Andy Whitfield was the first one, and then uh, Liam McIntyre was the second one. Yeah, that, that's who it is. Yeah. Um, yes. I've met him. He's he's really really nice, very down awesome. to earth, very funny. So, um, yeah. So Morgan Freeman's series, um, and it's still on Netflix. is called uh, The Story of God. Um, and they do uh, an episode on Egypt. I'm just taking a look now. So they they you know talk about so. With Egypt, uh, they talk about beyond death. What what is is it afterlife? What what's the belief? What what do people believe? Um, and they actually touch on they set the foundation with ancient Egypt uh, mythology with regards to their belief in the afterlife. But then um, Freeman talks to uh, individuals who near-death experiences, and so he then kind of mediates between the two, um, and it's, it was 
uh, a very good episode. Um, and then he goes on to, in other episodes, talk about, like, the apocalypse creation. Um, you know, who is God? Um, and it's, it's fascinating because he touches across history as well as touching on different, different religious beliefs um, that I think make it such an interesting um, series to watch. I think it's only like six episodes, but um, very fascinating. Yeah, there were two seasons at least. I don't know if there was a third season, but I found the uh, two seasons, uh, and they were fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. I believe they were $7.50 for each season. Uh, so I picked up both of them. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty good price. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. I am curious. Uh, how did you guys, how did you and your wife enjoy going from the Universal movies to the Hammer film, Mummy film? Well, the, the story is slightly different. You have Carice with the Tanya leaves, and, uh, you know, the, the, the element that they share is that, um, you know, even though he was, even though he was dead or in suspended animation, you know, for a while until he was revived, he never reincarnated. So he never had a chance to grow past uh, where he currently was, and he was stuck. Uh, where she, mm-hmm. his love interest, whether it's a mama said or, uh, you know, uh, she reincarnated a few times, so she was able to move past the relationship. So th- that. Uh, that uh, story, which I guess uh, became more prominent with the Hammer movies, um, it was kind of like, for me, what that was all about. Uh, of course, the Universal, the first Universal movie is unparalleled, um, and uh, uh, that's my favorite among the older films. I like the new Mummy uh, that they did, not the newest one, uh, but the, the one that had the Scorpion King as part of the story. I enjoyed that as well. That was like Indiana Jones meets the mummy. Yeah, uh, the Brendan Fraser uh, yeah. or Stephen Summer uh, directed uh, vehicle. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a fan of that one. I, I'm i a sucker for, you know, the love story. And I think that mm-hmm. that's always what, I think that's what speaks to me quite a bit with regards to the original mummy film uh, from 1932. Um, I think for me, the I I think he picked up on a great point with regards to the relationship between the mummy and you know his um, his soulmate. You know the fact that uh, his soulmate has reincarnated. Um, her soul has traveled across you know many lifetimes, and so it's it's moved her uh, ahead, like you say and definitely distanced herself uh, from him. And even though there's that connection, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you meet someone and you just know that, geez, there's yeah. some sort of connection on them forever type of thing, you know. And, and it's, it's kind of sad in a way, you know, because of the fact that here's this, this person who, you know, believes love, you know, across the universe, across time, but that, you know, does that really exist, you know, in a, in a modern sensibility, I guess. Um, and so that's, 
you know, is that is that a, a you know a result of modernity versus religious beliefs, you know, that put us closer to, you know, our our the higher being or God, um, you know, of earlier times. Uh oh, Cecily's going to talk oh. a little bit. Good. <laughs> I guess she agrees with you. <laughs> I I guess so. Yes, she came right over to to talk to me about it. So, but, uh, I I just looked at the clock. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, um, I've missed you guys. I'm glad we get a chance to connect. How can people enter your universe, Michelle? So um, right now, I would say probably the best way is through uh, Amazon. Uh, I have all the projects that I've been working on, you know, book-wise there. Um, but you can always find me. Um, I do have a website, but unlike Nick, who is meticulous about keeping his up to date, I just haven't. That's on my to-do list. That's kind of my personal growth area that I'm, <laughs> that I'm trying to work on and, and improve uh, with the new year. Um, so, uh, you can go to my website at michellebrittany.com, um, and you can see some of my projects. I'm also the uh, editorials manager at fanbasepress.com, so I do a lot of reviews through them. Um, and I, In fact, I just uh, reviewed um, uh, the, the last volume of uh, the collection of the Erie magazine, um, they just finished okay. that up. Um, yeah, so I reviewed that, I think, with, like, the last month or two. Um, so that's that's kind of where to find me right now. I, I promise to be better in the new year, though, so people can follow yeah. along more closely what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I assure people that there's enough to follow there. So by the time uh, you get to work on it, there's still a lot there to explore. Uh, Michelle, thank you very much. I've missed you, and Nick. I'm glad we had a chance to connect today. Um, happy Thanksgiving, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you guys uh, very soon. Yes, I, I, same here, Hercules. Looking forward to next month. And, of course, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours and also to the listeners. I'm wishing everyone all the very best and a very thankful, peaceful, and thoughtful uh, Thanksgiving next week or in a couple of weeks. Incredibly awesome. Thank you from me as well, listeners, and from Nick, I'm sure. Uh, Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.